Well, there was a, a Sunday school teacher, as the story goes, who was given the task to teach the class that day about heaven. And so they wanted to find out, okay, well, what do these kids know about heaven? And, and more importantly, who gets to go to heaven? So, so the teacher starts out and says, okay, class, is, is heaven reserved for the people who give the most money to church or, or the highest percentage of their income? Is that how someone like me would get into heaven? The kids say, no, that's not what gets you into heaven. And so then he says, okay, well, well, if we tallied up the amount of time each person spent at church and serving their community, and the people at the top of the list, are those the people that get into heaven? And the kids thought about it and said, no, that's not it either. And he said, okay, well, what if every single week I brought you in puppies and kittens and gave you king-size candy bars? Would that get me into heaven? And the kids think about it. That sounds like a pretty good deal. One kid, no, that's not what gets you into heaven. And he says, okay, so, so, so what do I got to do to get to heaven? And, and one kid stands up and raises his hand and, and he says this. He says, well, if you want to get to heaven, you got to know this, that you got to be dead first. We are kicking off a new three-week teaching series called No Offense in which we're talking about some of the bigger questions that whether you're a Christian or not, you might have about life, faith, heaven, God, society, uh, all those types of things in, in between. And today's message is called No Offense, but don't all good people go to heaven anyways. You know, most studies show that that majority of Americans believe in heaven and most believe that they will end up there. And here's why. is Because most people say, well, well who gets to go to heaven or, or who gets to populate heaven? And they say perhaps something like this. And maybe this is what you believe or somebody you know, but they say, well, well good uh, people go to heaven. And so that might be something that you're aware of. Maybe that's a thought you have. Maybe this is a conversation you've had recently. And then a lot of Americans, a lot of us, uh, might respond with this way and saying, so good people go to heaven and, well, I am a good person. And what we kind of do, whether we realize it or not inadvertently, there's this maybe belief out there, we create this goodness scale. And we think to ourselves, maybe it's not super specific, but we say, okay, on one side of this scale, you guys, you guys are the good people today, okay? So you guys can clap for yourself, cheer. You guys are the good side of the room. And this, the good side of the room is people like Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., William Wilberforce, Gandhi, just the people who have lived good, good, good lives. So that's good. And then all the way at the other side of the scale... Unfortunately, that's you guys today. All the bad people, the not good people, sit on this side of the... No, I'm just kidding. But, but all that's where it's populated. Okay, this is the, the, the not good people. And that's people like, uh, maybe it's like Hitler or Stalin, Bin Laden, Genghis Khan and whatnot. And then what we do is we, we tell ourselves, well, well, here's maybe kind of where our, I am. And, and I'm not as good as those people, but I definitely know I'm not as not good as those people over there. I'm right about here, maybe somewhere in the middle, and, and here has to be the line, and this is the line that gets you into heaven. And this is this notion that good people go to heaven. And, and, and it makes sense to us because we think, well, that seems fair, does it not? That wouldn't a good God want a good place to be populated with good people? However, the system is flawed. So follow with me for a brief moment. Why this line of thinking about who gets to go to heaven doesn't work when it's this idea of good? Because here's why. Is that good is a moving target. Good has always been moving throughout history, throughout your lifetime. Think about maybe something you believed was good as a kid isn't perhaps perceived to be good today. Good has always changed. Think of it in a historical note. 
Things that are good today weren't good back then. Or, or, or vice versa, things that were seemed as good or able to be done are definitely rejected today. Things maybe like slavery or how we view or treat women. Good has changed. Think of it from a cultural standpoint. Depending on which country you live in or perhaps your background or upbringing, good kind of differs. For example, just as an example, if you were to live in the country of Iran or Iraq and you were a member of the LGBT community, you would be seen as a severe lawbreaker, sometimes even murdered as a result. Depending on where you live, your culture good changes. But also, on top of that, in a personal note, isn't good sometimes subjective? Isn't good sometimes relative? That what's good for you, maybe you have a conversation with, with a peer or a neighbor, well, I don't think that way. I don't believe what you believe. You think that's good, I don't think that's good. So from that standpoint, good is subjective. And so if good is what gets us into heaven, it's always been moving and it's hard to identify. So, so if, if we just follow this, if, and let me emphasize if, the whole notion of heaven is that's the place reserved for good people, there ought to be a universal standard of who gets to go there. And perhaps then the bigger question is not what is the standard, but who gets to determine that standard in the first place. And some of you, that's where we might come in and say, okay, well, the person who decides the standard of goodness, that's God. That's God's job. That's God's rule. But think of it this way. Then God isn't a good God, if that's the case. Because he never gave us the scale. He never gave us the rules of how that works. Nowhere does God say, well, here's the percentage of goodness you need to live in your life to balance the scales in your favor. Nowhere does God say, well, this is the age in which we start keeping track. We don't, we don't know if God takes into consideration our thoughts, our motives, our background, our cultures, our history. Does, does that count against us? And, and more importantly, shouldn't we be getting an update? If good is constantly changing, shouldn't God say, you want to know what good enough 2023 is? Well, I'm glad you asked. Boom, here's the list. And so by that notion... That a good God created a good place for good people completely falls apart because he couldn't be a good God because he's hiding the rules from us. Let me use an example. How many of you guys like P.E. In, in, in school? Some of you, you know, a couple of you are like, yeah, 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 yeah. So imagine you had a P.E. teacher. And the first day of class, the P.E. teacher said, all right, class, you get one test this entire year, your entire grade, it's pass or fail, and you have to get it 100% right. Good luck. And that's it. Didn't tell you when the test was. Didn't tell you what was going to be on the test, how you were going to be evaluated. Gave you no hints or ideas of what to work on. You would probably say, whoa, 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 teach. That's not fair. And you definitely wouldn't tell people, man, you know who's a good PE teacher? They are. So this notion of God being good because good people get to heaven just doesn't simply work. And here's the thing. is nowhere in Scripture does it say that good people go to heaven. Or that heaven is reserved for people who have been good enough. And the Bible oftentimes uses the term good and, and righteous. Uh, good living, a righteous person kind of synonymously. And here's what I want to argue this morning, is that you and I, we don't want that to be the case. You and I don't want the truth to be that good people go to heaven. Because the scriptures say something actually pretty different. 
The scriptures teach us that, that we are not good, let alone good enough to get ourselves into heaven to balance the scales if there were some to balance. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 3. If you're taking notes, you can get those out, follow along with us. Every single week you have the opportunity to take notes. And on that note sheet, there's stuff for further study throughout the week. Um, But here we go. In Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, he says, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike, that's every single person who's ever lived, including us today, are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Verse 20 says, then therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, by their righteousness, by being good. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin. You may say to yourself, well, that seems a little harsh. I thought God and Christianity was supposed to be about a God of love and grace, mercy, compassion. That speaks to me something pretty different here. Well, what about Jesus? This whole Christian faith thing is based on the teachings and the life of Christ and how he fulfilled the Old Testament, how they came together. It's one story pointing to how he's ours. What about Jesus? Jesus seemed like a good dude. Jesus Jesus seemed like someone who was fair and just and loving. What did Jesus teach about who got to go to heaven? Well, I'm glad you asked, even though I asked it for you, but I'm glad you asked. In his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 8, Jesus tackles this idea, and he gives us one verse that we're going to read here in a moment. But he addresses this group of people called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the most righteous, goodest of the good people who existed in the time of Jesus. They're the religious elite. They followed all the rules, all the laws. And Jesus says this when he's addressing the entire crowd. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says, you want to know how good is good enough to get to heaven? He says this. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is being hyperbolic here. He's saying good doesn't get you into heaven. And he uses the Pharisees as an example. Let me describe to you the righteousness of the Pharisees and what it would maybe take to surpass it. So the Pharisees were these group of people that took the laws of God and made more around them to be very, very specific of where the lines were. Most of us are aware of the Ten Commandments. God, in Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, here's these, these ten rules that God has given, he gave to Moses to give to us. And so, so we at least know the concept of them. Don't worry, there's no test. We're not going to ask you, do you know all ten in the right order? We're not doing that. But then what happens is the rest of the Old Testament kind of draws on those Ten Commandments. And there's actually 613 laws, rules, commands that kind of explain or go into further detail. But the Pharisees didn't stop there. They took those 613 laws and made an additional 1,500 of their own accord. Saying, okay, well, this is what the law says. Here's all of the lines and the nuances and the details for us to be good people. 2,100 laws that they wrote up. And a lot of them are what is called fence laws, meaning here's some ways to make sure you keep those original laws in place. An example of that. One of the the Ten Commandments is to honor the Sabbath. 
take a day of rest. It's a sign of faith to show that you trust in God with all that you have, all that you make, all that you are. And so then the Pharisees said, well, we're going to create 39 additional fence laws of how you keep the Sabbath. And they said things like, well, just so you know, because you're not supposed to work, you're supposed to rest. You can't, you can't, you can't hock a loogie into the dirt on Sabbath. Because if your spit hits the ground, it's going to stir up the dirt. And that's considered plowing. Remember, you can't work. They said you can't swat a fly out of the air, no matter how much it's bugging you. Because if you killed it, that would be considered hunting. And you're supposed to be relying on God for your sustenance on that day. Who eats a fly after they kill it? But that's who the Pharisees were. They took every rule, they made more to ensure that they followed them as close as they could. But Jesus' rub oftentimes with the Pharisees was not their desire to be good or to do good. It was how they became legalistic. It was how they treated other people as a result sometimes. You see, Jesus was oftentimes more emphatic that they claimed to be right with God and doing right in God's law, but they treated people poorly. When the Pharisees tried to, to, to corner Jesus, they said, well, Jesus, what's the most important rule? By the way, we have over 2,000 of those. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We refer to that as the great command in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus later turns to his disciples and he says, the world you will know that, that you are mine, that you are a Christian, that you are a disciple of me, not based on how good you are, but by your Love. You see, what bothered Jesus, what bugged Jesus to his core about the Pharisees was not their desire to live righteous lives. It's rather how they treated people not right as a result. And I'm going to tell you, that's the same thing for today. There's probably nothing that bothers a non-Christian person about Christians today when the people who claim to have God right and live right with God who don't treat people right as a result. Whether that's their their spouse or their kids. Whether that's how sometimes maybe Christians treat people who have different uh, beliefs about politics or even different religions. It's not to say as disciples we, we give up on the truth. That's not to say we become lenient with it, not at all. But there is a call to love and respect and to honor each and every person regardless of who they are because God's love in us should stir up love for other people. Basically, Jesus was never for this internalized only religion that led to a mistreatment of others. And some of us maybe know that. And some of us, we we like hearing that because we say, well, there it is. You said it, Pastor, my actions don't matter. It's all about grace so I can believe and live however I want. That's what you're saying, right? Man, I love this. This is a great deal. Why didn't anybody tell me about this sooner? I was like, on the contrary, mon frere. Because the Bible cares very much about how you act. That grace is not a free pass to do whatever you want. So in some ways, Jesus says, hey, it's not about you just being right with God. Who cares how you treat other people? But the Bible also talks about there's no such thing as a believe-only-do-nothing follower of Jesus. 
The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. This is what the Apostle Paul says, talking about the point of our good works. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. First Peter reminds us of what Jesus said, and when he took from Leviticus chapter 17, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. It's not a call to be good. It's not to say, see, you can be good enough. Rather, it's you are capable of good. You are capable of doing good. You are called to, to do good unto others. But we get stuck in this rut sometimes, thinking that, that God is like Santa Claus. He's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's good or bad. Naughty or nice. So what do you do? You be good for goodness sake, right? And we think of God like Santa. Whew, I wonder which list I'm on. It was a good week. Oh, it was a bad week. I better, oh man, I, I hope that stuff from a couple years ago doesn't count too much against me. Is there a period of termination in which, like, you know, like we're not actually culpable for those things anymore? I don't know. How, how does the scale work? And the Bible says, no, you, you can do good. You can be good for a season, for a moment, for a decision, but you can never be good enough to earn your way into heaven. And Jesus says, be holy, not good. Why? So you can get into heaven? No. Be holy as I am holy. I am the God of love. I am the God of righteousness. Do what is good. Do what is noble. Do what is caring for others. Be holy for I am holy. See, I think it's important to note that whenever Scripture talks about heaven, whether that's Jesus or the Apostle Paul or anywhere else, the book of Revelation, very minimally, if ever, does it really talk about heaven being this place up in the, in the cotton ball clouds. And we sit up there and we have a big widescreen television and we sit in a recliner and we just watch football for the rest of eternity. Heaven is often talked about as the dwelling place of God, the presence of God, the glory of God, the goodness of God, the place that if you believe, you will spend eternity there worshiping King Jesus, worshiping the one true God for a different reason other than you were good enough to get there. See, Jesus, he oftentimes uses the phrases the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God interchangeably as if to say you can begin to experience heaven now. You can experience the glory, the majesty, the goodness of God here and now. And yet he still said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you are not good enough to get to heaven. So if the bar is that high, if the bar is that steep, if the bar is that seemingly impossible, who is heaven reserved for? What did Jesus teach on that? And Jesus taught this, kind of main point for this morning. It's that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Do good people go to heaven? No. Because there are no good people. There is no one good enough to save themselves, but forgiven people, forgiven people do. 
So if good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. If our actions do matter, but not in our admittance into the kingdom of heaven, how do we resolve this kind of tension with our lives? You see, Jesus had the authority to claim one thing, many things, as, as, as the Son of God, but, but one major thing is that he had the ability to forgive sins. That our sin, our ungoodness, our lack of righteousness creates a debt, creates a gap with God. And Jesus said, I will pay that debt on your behalf. I will cover that debt for you of my own doing. And so the question is not, do good people go to heaven? I believe the question is this, is do you believe that Jesus was right? Do you believe, do I believe, do we believe the notion that good people don't go to heaven, only forgiven people do? The question that every single person needs to wrestle with, and maybe that's you this morning. Maybe the question you need to wrestle with is not, am I good enough to go to heaven? Maybe the question is, do I believe that Jesus was right when he said that forgiven people are the ones who have eternal life? Let me show you from Scripture. Jesus was crucified. If you're not familiar with that is, Jesus died on the cross. That's why you see a lot of churches and, and, and other places use that as a symbol Jesus died on the cross. It was the most gruesome, horrific, painful way to die. And it was oftentimes reserved for the worst of the worst people. And while Jesus was dying on the cross, there were two people next to him. And we learned they're both thieves. And one of the thieves on one side mocked Jesus. They said, they're calling you the king of kings, the lord of lords. If you truly are the savior, bro. If you are the Messiah, why don't you get yourself down and, by the way, take me with you? And then the other thief calls out that first thief. Do you not understand who you're talking to? Do you not understand what these people are saying? Do you, have you, do you, do you not know who you just addressed with that mockery? And in Luke chapter 23, this thief... And Jesus have this interaction as his life winds down. It says this in Luke chapter 23, then, or uh, 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. This is that second thief talking. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says this. Answered him. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What we can know and assert about this thief who got that promise, you will be with me today in, in paradise, is that he was not a good person. Crucifixion, like I said, it was the worst way to die. The Romans, they chose it because it was painful. It was embarrassing. Oftentimes, people were crucified to make an example out of to the rest of the community to say, don't do what they did or else. It was reserved for the worst of the worst, because it was the worst way to die. If you take that word thief, and you go back a few chapters, you're going to see it happen again. The, the, the New Testament is written in Greek, and the same word is used in reference to this man by the name of Barabbas. And if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, Jesus is on trial, and, and, and this guy by the name of Pilate says to the whole entire community, he says, who do you want in exchange? Do you want this man who I see who has done nothing except claim to be the son of God, or do you want Barabbas? Do you want thief, thug, violent, insurrectionist who has probably killed some of your family? Which do you want? And they shout, give us Barabbas. And so he lets Barabbas go. 
and he has Jesus be crucified. And so that same word for Barabbas is used for this thief, that Jesus says, you will be with me today in paradise. You were a violent person. You were an evil person. You were a malicious person. We're not talking about somebody who had some sticky fingers walking through the candy bar aisle at Walmart. We're talking about someone like a member of the Sopranos type of deal here, all right? And yet he says to him, you will be with me in paradise. By all standard and measures, this man was not good. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And think about this for a moment. A man who was crucified publicly, trying to be made an example out of, means people in that community that he probably hurt, stole from, violently offended, perhaps even killed people or part of their family. There's a good chance that some of those people in his community, perhaps even somebody whose life he took, was a believer in God. And what the gospel of Jesus tells us and shows us and reveals to us is that when that thief enters into heaven, guess what he enters into? Claps and cheers and and celebration that he is there. That the same people he violently attacked in life, there's a good chance that some of those people welcomed him into the kingdom of God with them. Why? Because that's how the gospel of Jesus works. That's the power of the good news of Christ. So the question is, do you believe Jesus or not when he says good people don't go to heaven? Forgiven people do. This man gets the nod for one reason and one reason only. That he believed that Jesus had the authority to forgive sins because he was the savior of the world. We call this the gospel. We call this the good news. And it's good news because you can't good your way in. At the same time, you can't bad your way out. In the most famous scripture, perhaps of all time, John chapter 3, verse 16, in its context, it says this. You might be familiar with the first verse, but the next two verses that follow. John chapter 3, verse 16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. But then it goes on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to judge the goodness of each and every person, but to save the world through him. Verse 18. So whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Why? It says because They have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There's no talk of goodness. There's no talk of a scale or a balance in this news. Jesus did not teach that good people go to heaven. He taught that no matter how bad you are or how good you are, no matter how aware or unaware of your sin you may be, forgiven people. And only forgiven people who would believe in me as the Savior of the world by grace through faith. Jesus says, only those people receive my gift of eternal life. Being forgiven 
is not believing that you have been good enough to save your health. Rather, it's believing that Jesus was, took your place, paid your price, and gave you that free gift of eternal life. And so heaven is enjoying that reality, that rightness with God because of the work of Jesus here and forevermore. I can sum it up this way, is that God offers everything for us before he asks anything from us. Perhaps it's time for us to abandon the all-too-common way of thinking, which we, we kind of flip that, 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 that phrase around the other way. And we just say, well, God wants something from me first. He wants my goodness in order for me to receive something for it, which is heaven. And God said, no, 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 I have done everything for you first. My son, Jesus, died on the cross, rose from the grave, conquered sin and death. And I give you heaven. And I give you new life. And I give you a way of living. Because that is the way of the gospel. Jesus has offered something for each and every person. Forgiveness through his blood. And that if you choose to receive it, to believe it, You not only get heaven, but you get something else, which is a new way of living that can start now. Romans chapter 5, as I close, I want to read this passage for us. This Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, read, while we were still not good enough, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. How good is good enough to get to heaven? Jesus. And Jesus alone. And the truth of that is you're not that good. I'm not that good. Nobody is that good. And that's why we need a Savior. Not a percentage, not a, not a scale, not a loophole, not, not a do-over or, or, or sliding intentions. We need an all-powerful, all-loving, unchanging Savior. I want to leave you with this question as I wrap up my time with you this morning. One question for you to think about and consider, and it's this. Is that what are you trusting in to receive eternal life? When was the last time you thought about that question? When was the last time you considered that question? When was the last time that you maybe took just a little bit of time to think about life and what is to come? And we are a church, and we will not shy away from that. We believe there is one way and one way to spend eternity with God. One admittance into heaven and one way to begin experiencing heaven here and now, and that is to trust your life, to believe in the forgiveness of sins through the grace of Jesus. 
So, so as I close, I want you to just sit there and think. Some of you, this is how you live. You, you are a disciple of Jesus. You're here because you're a disciple of Jesus. As Hannah shared in kind of her communion meditation, it's like sometimes we forget and lose sight. That the forgiveness and the grace of God is so much more powerful and potent. That the goal is to believe that we are new creations led to live a new life. That yes, our actions do matter, but they're a result of our faith. Some of you, you're here because that's what you've always done. You've grown up going to church. You've grown up singing the songs, but deep down, you've always thought it was that attendance is what got you in heaven. If you're honest with yourself, it was how many times you served or how much you gave. And it's time for you to surrender that trust in your good works or your actions and truly trust Jesus to receive the full forgiveness of your sins. And there could be some of you with us this morning, it's your first time hearing that good news, that gospel message that Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, he wants to forgive you of your sins, and if by grace, through faith, you believe, heaven and eternal life is yours, and it begins now. What are you trusting in for eternal life? And have you transferred that trust to Jesus or not? As I pray here in just a second, if you are here with us this morning and you would like to talk to somebody, if you would like to uh, give your life to Jesus, to, to trust in Christ with that, one of the best ways to do that is either find someone at Guest Central or myself after service. You can fill out the app or the Connect card and just write on there, Jesus. And we would love to follow up with you and have that conversation about what that looks like, taking that next step of faith. You can fill that out during the next couple songs that we sing together as a church, or you can stick around after service. But we believe that Jesus is moving today because he is alive and he is our Savior. Would you pray with me as we continue to worship this morning? Lord, we pause to say thank you. We say thank you because you are good. We thank you that you are perfect. You are the definition of good. And that you loved us enough to take our place. That the death that we deserve to die on the cross, that you said, no. As the son of the living God, I will bear that burden. I will cover that price. I will bridge that gap. And so I pray this morning, Lord, if if there's anyone here with us, either in person or online, who's hearing this message of, for the first time, or maybe they're hearing it for the 50th time, but it's just now clicking. Lord, I pray for the power of your spirit, you move in them, you give them the boldness and the conviction to say, trust in me, trust in my work, only I, through my forgiveness, Jesus says, can give you that eternal and for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, those of us who have made that trust, continue to move powerfully through us. May we listen to the guidance of your spirit. May we follow the commands of your word. May we turn to you in prayer. May we love you, love our neighbor as ourselves. May we be people known by our love. May our freedom from our sin 
Turn us into new humans who live a new way. We love you. We praise you. We offer this time to you. It's in that we pray.